you know, industrializing any food system is not good. But if you looked at the best version of um, livestock management and you looked at the best version of horticulture or um, kind of tillage or arable, like livestock is only net positive, whereas there's always inputs in horticulture and in arable because it's done by humans. So there's human labor. Often then, especially with arable, it's going to be fossil fuels or some sort of mechanization, whereas the livestock can pretty much be done with with no no inputs when done well. And they're fertilizing as they go. And yeah, the amount of knock-on effects of animals for the wildlife is basically yeah it's a solution it's a huge solution and that's why i'm fascinated by it and i'm i was a vegetarian for eight years i my main business here is vegetables i'll always grow vegetables i'm not you know saying animals are right and veg is wrong but actually if you really start going down the rabbit hole of looking at all this like grain is not something that is easy to do without mechanization it's a lot of work if you're doing it without machines and using horses and if you want to talk about plowing that's obviously not good and then you're trying to no-till and then in this climate that's tricky so that's not you know a solution as such you're listening to the spaceship earth podcast with me dan burgess the concept of the spaceship earth is simple we live on a life-giving rock called earth hurtling through space like a spaceship we have a finite amount of supplies with an intelligent operating system which keeps everything we need replenished as long as we all respect it and use wisely. So an understanding of how this system works, along with deep cooperation between humans and all life, is essential to keep us thriving and the spaceship flying. In this podcast, I'm in conversation with humans involved in regenerating life, shifting consciousness and reimagining how we can live more beautifully and peacefully. I talk with artists, activists, writers, designers, adventurers, healers, entrepreneurs, creative mavericks, and more. Their stories invite us to participate in the co-creation of a more beautiful, life-sustaining world in service to life, becoming crew on Spaceship Earth. Greetings, Earthling. This is Dan. Thank you for tuning in. Much appreciated. Um... I'm recording this, where are we? Tomorrow is the winter solstice here in the UK. Um, So we're towards the back end of December. Um, And yeah, it's been, it's been, it's actually been months since I've had a microphone in my hand. Um, Life has, life has got in the way of the podcast in the last few months. And that's just the way life goes. Um... Sometimes we have no control. In fact, most of the time, I'm figuring out as I get older, we have no control whatsoever of anything. But anyway, um, it's been uh, it's been quiet on the recording front. I'm hoping this will change in the new year. But there is a little episode here which I'm serving up, which was a conversation uh, I actually recorded in uh, June this year. Over on the west coast of Ireland, with the marvellous legend that is Fergal Smith. Uh, now, Fergal uh, is a how do I how can I describe Fergal? Well, Fergal's known as many things. He's known as the surfer farmer, 
Um, he has, he's an extraordinary surfer, uh, a big wave surfer who has, has been leading the charge on a, a lot of the, uh, the big wave surfing on the, the West coast of Ireland. Um, and over the years, over the last, probably about the last 10 years, I imagine he has, uh, he's moved, he's, he has dropped his professional surfing lifestyle and become a farmer, a regenerative farmer. And he's on that journey, and it is a journey because I think you. I think it's a. It's a bit like becoming crew. It's a becoming. It's an always on evolutionary process to be regenerative farming, as is with anything uh, right now. Um, I met Fergal uh, at the Do Lectures. Actually, I can't remember when it was. We were both speaking at it, and we were both sharing a tent. And uh, we connected there and we've stayed in touch. Uh, and I have um, ended up creating a little bit of a ritual in my family in that each time one of my children reached the threshold of leaving primary school and moving into secondary school, I chuck them in the van, uh, got a boat across the island, drove up the Wild Atlantic Way, went surfing uh, um, and, and camping in the van, and then ended up, uh, ended up the 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 week away at Moy Hill Farm, which is the farm where Fergal farms, uh, and usually have spent a day and a night on the farm, um, catching up with Fergal and family, and seeing how they've been evolving what they're doing, um, mucking in where possible, um, and it's something I've done. For the, well, I've done it three times now. I have three children. So in June this year, I took my youngest, Willow, and we headed over to Ireland, and we had a fantastic few days up the Wild Atlantic Way. We had some brilliant surf and amazing times in the van, and uh, we uh, got to Moy Hill, I think, on a quite a bleak uh, day. Um, we got to Moy Hill in uh, sort of late afternoon. We spent an evening there, uh, and then Fergal and I recorded... Uh, this conversation quite late at night actually I think it was about 10 o'clock by the time we actually managed to sit down this is the life of a farmer um, in 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 uh, in one of their barns and um, there was a bit of a storm that night as well we, there was a couple of power cuts as we were recording so a lot of this was a conversation in the dark um, but it's uh, it's 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 a it's a it's a fascinating conversation. Fergal's story of his kind of surf evolution, surf to farm evolution, is quite well documented. So you you can find if you're interested in hearing sort of Fergal's backstory, there are plenty of places to find that. Or I would particularly recommend uh, going to Matt Bars looking sideways for an episode with Fergal that gets that story. Um, the time I had with Fergal, we just just went straight into where he's at with Moy Hill at the moment. It's, a, it's an evolutionary project. It's shifted quite a lot, even in the years that I've visited. Um, and so we just locked in into like, you know, what it's like to farm today for him there on that piece of land. So it's very focused on that plot. And Fergal, in some ways, at least my sense, is he, he, he is part of, he is becoming part of that landscape. He, he is intimately in relationship with, with it day in, day out in, in a quite a mind-blowing way. And I think that's what's so fascinating 
about Fergus. He is in that place. That's where he's focusing on. He is, I would say, spending less time now sort of bothering himself with wider issues out of what he can influence. And he's just focusing into that place. And I think there's something really interesting in that right now that I think maybe is something that many of us could could take inspiration from. How do you just focus in on the places that you're in in order to try and evolve that, to try and bring healing, care, beautiful change back to that place where you're at. And that obviously can be through whatever it is that you're that you're able to offer into the world, whatever gift you're carrying. For Ferg, it's like it's all about bringing that soil health back, bringing the biodiversity back and 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 exploring how he can he can feed feed people around him and his family as well. We talked a lot about animals and it's interesting when I last visited Ferg there was I think they just I don't think they had animals but now he's got animals and so again I think what I learned out of this conversation is the nuance again that's required at the moment when we talk about the state of the world, when we think about the change that we are needed in the world. Now, there's a lot going on around the role of um, industrial agriculture, uh, animal agriculture, and how much it's destroying ecosystems. And I think at an industrial level, you can't argue with the evidence and, and, and that's out there. We The industrial production of animals is off the scale horrific. It's causing total breakdown of so many delicate ecosystems just look at the 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 stuff that with the rivers here in the in the uk i think it's an art you can't really argue that stuff has to has to be phased out as fast as possible and there's there's a there's a lot in this that's very hard to have a kind of binary uh point of view on but spending time with fergal actually this conversation he talks a lot about the animals that he is working with and their role in bringing soil health back, bringing biodiversity back, therefore bringing grasslands back, bringing the ability for those landscapes to sequester carbon. And again, as I learned a bit from chatting with Andy Cater at Wild Farmed about the, the role of cattle that they have in the production, you know, this idea of, of, of working with animals to bring the health of the ecosystem back and then the meat coming out the back end is a byproduct of that process. So it's a byproduct of, of, of restoring health of ecosystems. Now, of course, people say, well, yeah, but if we want to all eat meat like that, you're going to need this and that. I think that, you know, it's clear, like, we have to be eating way less meat, right? But maybe some places are more suited to eating meat and some places aren't. And this is the thing. What is the What are different places calling for? Some places are going to need animals to bring biodiversity back. Some places are just going to be rewilded. Some places are going to need full-on food production. I mean, this is what we're up against. We're into a kind of whole world of complexity. And the places we're in are going to become more and more important, the nuance of the place. What are these places calling for? How do we apply that level of intelligence to those places? But, you know... The day after I recorded this, before we left to get the to drive ac- back across Ireland and get the boat back to England, Ferg said, "Come down the bottom meadow, come see the animals." So me and Willow went down the bottom of the of the, of the farm, down to these meadows. 
with fur. He walks into this meadow. The grass was about waist high. And he's like, well, the cattle are out there. We couldn't actually see them because the, the grass was so long. We couldn't actually see them until he sort of like, sort of coaxed them out, if you like. And Ferg pointed out that there's this whole thing, you know, about the way that he's trying to farm and the way that real regenerative farming is working. It's like, if you're bringing inputs, which is this idea of bringing stuff onto the farm from, from outside, so that's called inputs, whether that's fuels, whether that's energy, whether that's f food, whether it's fertilizers, all kinds of things, they're called inputs, stuff that you're having to bring from somewhere else and put them into that farm there. So he was saying, like, if you're bringing food for the cattle onto the, from somewhere else, if you're having to bring food on, you're failing. You're failing at regenerative farming. So the whole idea is the land should feed the animals themselves without you having to interfere. So this is kind of mind-blowing, mind really, when you think about it. And that's what he's trying to do. That's the whole aim of it, is so that the whole place sustains itself. And he pointed up onto the hill and he said, see up there, what do you see? And what I saw was these kind of fields with cattle like lying in these fields where there was uh, you know barren of, of any kind of biodiversity and then there was a big farm there was farm machinery sort of lifting up these these uh, uh, you know big bundles of of of, of hay and, and food that had been bought on and he said that's industrial dairy farming millions of quids worth of kit having to bring all this stuff onto the land all these inputs bringing feed stock from god knows where grain that's been uh, cultivated out of, you know, on land to, to actually feed animals, to feed humans. All of it is failing. And so I guess what I'm saying is it's really important, I think, to stay open to the nuance that is required in everything in terms of how we feed ourselves, how do we bring health back to uh, ecosystems. This idea of, you know, no animals versus animals, this idea of, you know, meat versus vegan. There's a, there's a lot of complexity. That's all I'm saying. A lot of complexity. So I hope you enjoy this conversation. This is the Spaceship Earth podcast, episode 62, with Fergal Smith from Moyhill Farm. Enjoy. Fergal, welcome to the Spaceship Earth podcast here on your very own Moyhill Farm. Thank you, Dan. <laughs> thanks for having me. <laughs> thanks for coming to visit. Ah, thanks for having me. I know it's been quite a. Uh, I've only been here a couple of hours, but it's been. Do you know what I was thinking? Since the last time I came today, I've been in the ocean with you and your family. I've had dinner with you. <laughs> Things that I have never done when I was been with you before because you've always just been. In, I'm, not, I'm not saying you're not insanely busy, but something has shifted. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. Like, I wouldn't say I'm any less busy, but I think priorities maybe are a bit more aligned. Um, coming of age, getting old, basically. <laughs> um, yeah, like, I'm manic busy that my wife definitely wouldn't say I've uh, changed that. Um, but it's very important, you know, having young kids and... Yeah, you can busy. For be, we all know anyone who's a busy person can be busy until the day they can die. They die. So, 
yeah, it's just very important to just carve out some time here and there to splash in the ocean or, yeah, do whatever your kids want to do, really. Yeah, nice. So um, I was trying to figure out when we were with my youngest, Willow, as we were driving up here, and she said, how do you know Fergal? And I was trying to, you know, and obviously this is the third time I've visited with my third child. There's a whole pattern here. Yeah. <laughs> Next time I might come on my own, actually. <laughs> <laughs> but... but um, um, and I was th- and I was trying to remember because I think it was about eight years ago we met. But I th- and I was trying to remember the, you know, the question that you were holding at that time um, about the fuck. Because you were just you'd had the I think Moyhill Community Garden was was up was happening. I think that's when I met you. I think it was the second year you'd been doing that or something. Okay. But you had this question I remember because when we came when I came here. This, the first time I think you just acquired this land I don't think you'd got onto it yet and then when I came four years ago with Olive you'd, you were a couple of years in but you had this I always remember you had this question about I'm trying to figure out how do you feed a community how do you feed people locally with good nutritious food and do it in a way that is you know bringing the natural world back from its uh from its, uh, how would I describe it? Well, the stresses and the strains that yeah. the natural world is under. So that was, I think, you know, give or take a bit. But that, I seem to remember that was the sort of question that you were, you were inquiring around. Yeah, and I still wake up every morning asking that question myself. <laughs> <laughs> it is. It's, it's definitely front and center, and it hasn't shifted. And it's still my main focus every day is, you know, I'm not working like a lunatic to make money it's really trying to figure this out and i will never figure it out but i at least will give it a a damn good try and work some bits out and yeah and since the community garden that was the kind of incubator start and i knew it wasn't going to feed very many people at all but it was just getting wheels in motion and yeah we're moving down the road and learning as we go and yeah it's evolving and it's very interesting i like i'm i'm up at five in the morning tomorrow for it because i love it Mm. and no one has to drag me out of bed because i'm just yeah i'm fascinated by it and i find it so interesting i just wanted you know to be further ahead in the in the learning and the story but it's you know it's it's just so interesting mm. and I, I love everything about it really. Mm. So I know like you've, you know, you've, you've documented your, your evolution, your surf to farming story on other podcasts and stuff. And I, I don't want to go massively down that track, but I would love a, just a bit of context for some of the listeners. Yeah. You know, because you, you know, in some people's eyes, you've made, you know, quite an unusual, uh, what was called it wouldn't call it a pivot because it's always been there in you as you've said but you know some people from the you know as people from the the way we look at each we look at each other externally and we see things yeah you were you know and you still are obviously right up there as but that was you know you were a professional surfer how did how tell us just give people a little bit of context about that shift yeah yeah no and it's it it is a bit of a shell-shocking change for people to grasp and myself at times but no not for me but no even my family like you know who 
also run an organic farm and they're just like, why are you giving up something that you love doing and you get paid to do? Like, that's pretty much the ultimate thing. And I'm like, it is. It really is. And I'm, I've loved it and it's great. But actually, you know, there is no pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. Like, we can chase it indefinitely and have a great time doing it. But it's, you know, you can't grasp... Um, the end of chasing waves is just this endless kind of pursuit, which is amazing and it is great, but it definitely doesn't give you like a, a grounded sense of like fulfillment. It's more of a really big high and, and amazing moments. Um, and I've no, no regrets of any of it, but yeah, because I grew up on a, a farm and have some kind of, you know, ecological you know, insights and mm. then concerns as I travel and see the world, I basically got to a point where it just hit me like a ton of bricks that I can't just keep going surfing, having a laugh and watch, you know, the world degrade around me. And I'm actually causing more harm as I do it than helping anything. And I try to be objective. I try to actually sit down and go, what's the best thing I can do, you know, in the scheme of things with my life here for the short time I have? Like, what is it? You know, is it going to Africa and helping in a charity? Or I really try to not be going, just copying my parents, basically. Mm. But actually, I was like, you know what? I know exactly what I need to do. And it was clear as day from that moment. I need to go home. I need to do this because I actually have a little bit of experience in it. I enjoy it and it's crucially important. But the big difference was I wanted to do it more than just vegetables, which are very important. I wanted to have like, you know, manage an ecosystem, manage the biodiversity of of a landscape and really was more interested in like, yeah, the whole mixed farm kind of approach. And yeah, that's the side of the farm that yeah interests me the most is managing a whole kind of you know mm. tract of land did that that because that how did that come to like to say because you're you said your dad was organic veg yeah you grew up with that around you when did you when you started like the community far, obviously the, the community garden was a like you say it was a way to get going a way to start bringing people around food and the land and whatever when did you start to uh, you know make these connections around this whole system idea because we i mean we can dig into this but this it feels like we're living in this time where you know you know either folks are sort of all out against animals you know yeah. and obviously you know there's a there's a pretty compelling case again at least from what i can understand against the sort of you know this a world that's just you know producing tons of livestock and using vast tracts of land to feed those livestock and but of course, we, as we know, this stuff is nuanced and complex and, and all this stuff. But when for you was this sense of actually, there's a, you know, I need to explore this animal plant land relationship. Kind of like even from childhood, like I grew up on a vegetable farm, but I grew up with my neighbors chasing sheep and cows. And I was, I used to love it. Like I used to love just being the sheepdog basically. <laughs> but I very clearly saw it not a very good system. Like you know, animals being, having the vet and they're getting dosed and, you know, having maggots on the sheep. I could just see all these problems and I just wondered why it was like that. But I always was still interested. And then coming around, you know, later as a bit more of an adult, I wanted to do, 
you know, I wanted to learn about animals and how, you know, how they inter- interact. Because basically the world evolved with animals on it. It didn't, you know, evolve with just plants. You know, animals were here, bef- you know, before probably we were. And uh, yeah, that's how soil was built. And I wanted to learn about all that. And yeah, I suppose I, I started... F- learning about holistic management, uh, which is from the Savory Institute, Alan Savory. And I did that kind of training and that really kind of snowballed my understanding about land management. And yeah, we, we, we love to control things as humans and horticulture is a real controlled environment. It's man-made. It's, I decide to grow vegetables here and you know, it's great food and everything, but it's very, it's actually quite unnatural to see you don't see a, a garden just happening in the wild. It's it's a man-made thing, and it's not actually... It wouldn't last very long if you walked away from it. Whereas, you know, grass and livestock has been happening for thousands of years through predators moving animals around the globe. And that's been happening indefinitely, you know, and that has always worked. And there can be no inputs in animals. Um, so... In a nutshell, animals, you know, are to me kind of the solution to our problems and done well, they are unbelievable what they can achieve. Done badly is which we're seeing in, you know, most of our industrial agriculture is, yeah, that's why they're a problem. But it's certainly, what's the saying? It's not the cow, it's the how. And um, yeah, like, you know, industrializing any food system is not good. But if you looked at the best version of um livestock management and you look at the best version of horticulture or um kind of tillage or arable like livestock is only net positive whereas there's always inputs in horticulture and in arable because it's done by humans so there's human labor often then especially with arable is going to be fossil fuels or some sort of mechanization whereas the livestock can pretty much be done with with no no inputs when done well and they're fertilizing as they go and yeah the amount of knock-on effects of animals for the wildlife is basically yeah it's a solution it's Mm. a huge solution and that's why i'm fascinated by it and i'm i was a vegetarian for eight years i my main business here is vegetables i'll always grow vegetables i'm not you know saying animals are right and veg is wrong but actually if you really start going down the rabbit hole of looking at all this. Like grain is not something that is easy to do without mechanization. It's a lot of work if you're doing it without machines and using horses. And if you want to talk about plowing, that's obviously not good. And then you're trying to no-till. And then in this climate, that's tricky. So that's not, you know, a solution as such. It can be done very well. Same in horticulture, huge amount of inputs. But yeah, if you look into it, animals are quite sublime like they they take like sun grows grass animals eat grass they grow on that no no other you know we can't live on grass and they yeah they can fertilize the soil and done well like it's all about the the management so you know giving a big field to a few cows is is not a very good management even though they've loads of grass it's all about naturally in the wild there was huge herds of animals you know there could be thousands with predators following them and that's why they were in a herd to protect each other and the weak one and the old one and the young one got taken by the predators 
and that's how he weeded out sick animals and there wasn't you know there was no vets keeping them alive keeping weak animals alive like we do now but the main thing is they kept being moved they kept being moved they never stayed in one place whereas now we have private property and fences and we can leave an animal in a field for a month and they don't really have a choice whereas when there was no fences they were just roaming and there could have been a thousand they reckon there could have been between 500 and 1000 cows to an acre but they were in there for maybe 2 hours and then they mightn't come back for 3 months mm-hmm. because they're going on some big long kind of migration being pushed by predators so that's obviously not going to happen in our modern era because mm. we have private property and roads and all these things but we can mimic that we can mimic that same you know bunch them close together and it's basically using very inexpensive um poly wire using electric fence and you can keep them in a tight space but we move them every day and sometimes twice a day and you give them fresh grass every single day they're super healthy the land gets the impact it needs and then the rest it needs and everyone's winning and it's great so what have you like with this here because i remember when you first came to this bit of land because give us some context because it was this was i mean it it was farmland but it was what was give us a bit of history of the land when you first so in the community garden which is only half an acre and then a 17 acre piece of land came up for sale but like out of the 17 acres i think there's 10 acres of just complete bog that we don't use really at all and then there's about three or four acres i don't even know my maths but there's a little (laughs) bit of half usable kind of graze land and then there's like a two acre flat field that we chose to have the market garden so essentially we just bought 17 acres for a market garden and that's all it was and that's all we could really use um and then a neighboring farm came for sale which is now another 50 acres which is much more you know better kind of grazing land so yeah that's where we're at now and did you and on that like because i'm 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 intrigued because again i'm 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 really intrigued I'm trying to understand this whole animal plant soil yeah. relationship. There's there's the scale thing which I find problematic or at least from my understanding of you know if you, if we're if we're putting vast amounts of livestock on to, to more and more land and we're clearing more and more land to produce soy or whatever it is yeah. that we're being fed and obviously that's bringing down ecosystems on one part of the planet and cause yeah. that so it, like we said it's complex right there's no but what have you noticed about arriving on this land? And obviously you've been doing huge amounts of work to try and understand it and make sense of it. But what have you noticed in terms of um, the life coming back, like the soil, the, the, the habitats, the, the biodiversity here? What have you seen while you've been here playing with this stuff? Because I think ultimately that's, that's the thing, isn't it? You're, yeah. you're the, the grounded experience that you have here. Yeah, it's it's fascinating and you know, the animals are the tool and basically if you leave land and don't touch it, like into that a rewilding state, it goes kind of scrubby, it goes into like fir- first of all the grass grows and the grass gets full and then goes to seed and then if it doesn't get eaten or trampled, it kind of starts going stale or tatchy or kind of rank and not palatable and kind of woody stems. And then you're going to get in like um, brambles and then you're going to get like willows and, you know, thorny trees. And they're kind of your pioneer species coming in. And then you're going to have, you know, 
slightly bigger trees and eventually you'll get an old forest yeah you know and that's what land will go back to and it always will and that's lovely and that's really nice and it's great but actually um like people might argue but it's actually quite biodiversity low in some respects you know when it starts to just be a pile of brambles you know it's a bit of a habitat for certain birds and you know it's it's good in ways but like a well-managed grassland like grassland when it's kind of pumping it's sequestering grass can sequest uh carbon 21 times faster than trees can and it stores it in the soil which is like putting it into like a, like bars of gold it's like putting into serious savings because soil ain't moving and mm. it's stable so that's one thing and then you you know if you, my thing is if we can have trees alongside grassland we're really killing it you know because we have trees which are great for birds and windbreaks and big roots going down and also storing carbon and more biodiversity more insects and all this stuff but having the grass at the same time there's just way more life i, I can see it i can't give you figures but i sure. can see from insects buzzing over the top of the grass like there's just more stuff happening it's it's um, it, like a fully humming forest is amazing as well but that takes a long time to get there you know if we're looking at trying to change uh, agriculture and food systems and manage ecosystems a well-managed grassland with integrated trees to me is where it's at like that's that's the most dynamic kind of anywhere there's an edge we're at the edge of a forest going onto a pasture is where you get all the you know that's where you run away when the midges come out because it's you know they're in the trees mm. and then you have the birds and there's so much going on like we don't want to see a a monoculture of grass like that would be our my worst nightmare mm. but you break it up with loads of different tree lanes so that's a lot of what we do is it's called agroforestry or silvopasture is breaking fields up into lanes um so there's you know 20 meter lane of grass and then there's a couple of rows of trees and then grass and then trees and it just it's diversity it's it's interesting it's great for the animals there's more feed for the animals there's more shelter there's more birds there's just more leaf mold going onto the <laughs> ground and yeah there's just so many benefits to both being there mm. whereas just trees as cool and as much as i love trees it's kind of one-dimensional and it's almost it's not reaching its full potential and it's also you know, like there is livelihoods to be made out of forestry but you're not feeding people you know next week yeah. out of a forest and we're not feeding off perennials food enough which could be how you know people can say we can feed ourselves with a lot of more perennial woody trees but realistically we're not living on perennials people want annual veg and meat and eggs and milk and these kind of things so yeah if you're looking to keep people on the land to manage the land and you know to keep land you know in its its best state there needs to be livelihoods as well at the same mm -hmm. time and this is the complex stuff when you get yeah. into how do you make a wage out of the land while you're trying to heal it and store carbon it's it's complex massively like, complex yeah. yeah yeah but like to be to simplify it i just think you know on any farm if you plant you know a few rows of trees in on every hedgerow if you break every field up into lanes you will plant thousands and thousands and thousands of trees 
and the fields can still all be used for the same enterprises or new enterprises, ideally. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, you can have both. You don't have to have just trees. You don't have to have just grass. It's the diversity is key. And we know that in anything. Like we know that in our gut biome, we know that, yeah, just is it better to go to an all girls school or an all boys? Like, I don't know. I just think diversity is just, is good. It's healthy. Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of like um, nature knows best, doesn't it? On that, when when there is diversity, everything seems to um, yeah. function. Yeah, there's another thing that people think that you know this for Ireland, for example, was all forest, and that's what it was, and it would have been you know a lot, a lot of trees in this country, but there would have been like a wood pasture is what they kind of think of it now would have be called, um, which is kind of like you know trees and then glades. And you would have had herds of animals hiding in the trees from predators. And like, if you know, uh, if you want to know about um, herbivores, is they've you know they've four stomachs, and the reason why is they've they've one main rumen, ruminant, which is the big stomach, because they'd run out you know into the basically where they'd be seen into the glade, and they'd hoover up as much grass as they can, and then they'd hide back in the trees again and kind of keep away. And that's that's how you know, ecosystems kind of functioned. That's how it was. Like, And trees evolved with animals walking through them and smashing them down and knocking down the unhealthy ones and stimulating new growth and getting new, you know, seedlings up and all this. And that's, yeah, that's how the world was. You know, like, and is there, but on that, is there a thing, I mean, again, I'm, I'm not um, speaking from any kind of... Um, uh, real experience here but is there something about you know wild animals versus livestock like this this difference this kind of i guess it's this scale thing again because you know there's those figures that get put around about you know the amount of you know we've we've sort of depleted kind of the you know the the biomass or the or on this planet you know of wild animals has been diminished to something absurdly tiny in the last whatever it is, a couple of hundred years, particularly the last few decades. But obviously then the the number of livestock has gone through the roof. Yeah. Um, and I guess there's things like, so the questions I have always are like, you know, we're seeing all these impacts on kind of water systems and, and rivers from, you know, runoff from livestock and, you know, the, sort of the slurry and the nitrogen yeah, levels yeah, going yeah. up and you know, rivers kind of dying and stuff. Totally. And so how, how do we, I guess I know these are big questions, but I guess that's the thing. So for me, it's like my understanding is, you know, you, there is no, we need diversity probably of diversity of farming approaches, different approaches for different landscapes and, and different regions. But how do we sort of, in your view, do we, meet this kind of like this the scale of the kind of industrial ag system that we're sort of that's teetering i guess that we're yeah. sort of in this moment aren't we where we've sort of taken for granted you know all these very very cheap meats and yeah. these animals that are being produced in in vast numbers and do, what's your view on this does there have to be a, a a big kind of reduction in in our dependency on on livestock and animals do you think or i i I yeah, I want to be kind of uh, controversial and say there certainly doesn't need to be a reduction in the number of animals. If the ecosystem can support the m- number of animals, ideally there'd be more, because that would mean the world is healthy. Mm-hmm. 
but the industrial model of farming is you know should be should be banned tomorrow like you know when the slurry tank arrived into ireland from what our fishing was in our fresh water and lakes went from what it was before that down to 10 percent, like straight away and that's it like there's no other real if buts or maybes that's probably what was the main cause hmm. so you know i am not an advocate for anything about the number of animals in the industrial model and the housing of animals oh my god seeing animals inside for six months a year you know, they didn't evolve standing on concrete, living inside, you know. They never lived under a roof, under a tree maybe. Mm. But it's, yeah, it's barbaric. And feeding, you know, herbivores grain, which they never evolved to eat, which is not good for them, which then is not good for us. Like, there's so many things that are wrong. Like, it's the list is very, very long. Mm -hmm. But done well, livestock moved around using the right genetics like that's a huge thing like we're we're generally using genetics that are just all about yield and all about quantity whereas you know if you use the genetics that are suited to the landscape suited to the weather the soil type that will thrive and those grasses and there's no inputs no housing you'll get the number whatever the number is that the land can hold that's the number mm. it's not about pushing those numbers to the maximum and if you can't do it on your land you're importing feed from brazil and you know this kind of crazy stuff that's just yeah completely out of whack and very unhealthy for the soil the animals and humans so that is completely has to be finished but done well like alan savory has a thing where it's like show me a way to like desertification is a man-made thing it's not natural for deserts to exist. Mm. The world thrived, you know, all over the globe once upon a time. And he, his thing is, show me a way to stop desertification. You know, there's no technology that can stop desertification, but animals can. Now, you can say trees can, and trees are great, and they, you know, they should be integrated. But you can straight away, if you bring animals into a desert... Now, you have to bring in feed, like hay or something. But if you bring them in there and they stay there for 24 hours in a spot and then you move them, the next time you come back, it might be six months or a year, life will be there mm -hmm. because they bring life. You know, their footprints, their urine, their dung is life. And they have that ability to do that. There's no technology that can do that. And we have to respect the animals and use them correctly and see how they can repair the world that they once they, they once created and yeah stop abusing them and monetizing them and controlling them and yeah making like there's crazy crazy stuff obviously going on in every um food system but it's the industrialization of it it's mm. it's horrific like it really is what have you i mean you when you started i remember well you because you you went into like box schemes here, right? Is that right? And CSA is what we call it. Right, okay. Because yeah. it's a slightly different model, but yeah. But yeah. Whereas, whereas people are sort of investing to support yeah. the system through and through kind of, you know, so they pay up, you know, yeah. subscribe or is that how it kind of works? That's right? it, yeah. yeah. So we'd have, you know, a box a week, trying to do as many weeks as you can. So we used to do in the end about nine months. Um, and it is, it's a lovely system. Um, the, the, the issue with it is, and we were chatting about this earlier, mm. is the number of people that want a CSA box is quite small. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, if you're looking at the population of an area, it's, 
if it's five percent, I don't know. Like it's very, it's it's a certain type of person that wants a box. So when you build your whole system supplying to those customers, you're not really open to your average customer. So I've kind of gravitated more back to more traditional markets, and we have a farm shop because there's no commitment. People don't like the commitment. It's kind of scary. You know, we make them up a box. They don't get to choose what's in the box. Most people don't eat half the things you want to you, you want to put in there, so they don't like it. That's a certain type of person that likes that relationship. Yeah. So at least at the farm, you know, farmer's market, they can come up, have a conversation. You can go, oh, if you want to try this. Yeah. It's more kind of interesting and sociable. And yeah. I kind of like that more so than... I'd still do the boxes and people who who like them, it's brilliant and they're willing to support us and I and I love that. But uh, I want it to be more inclusive. I want the average person who might just be walking past, give it a go. And if you're putting all your eggs into one basket <laughs> to one box you're not uh, you're not capable then of yeah. being out and about and other things so it's tricky though isn't it because it's i guess there's a like you say there's i mean you you mentioned may, maybe it's also size of population and like box schemes can maybe need bigger populations for them to sort of yeah well then like basically the kind of regenerative food or organic food kind of local food systems they they only attract a niche uh, type of person so you know if i was living like there's some really great market gardeners out there mm. um that are just killing it like doing so well and but then you look and they live you know beside five million people so if i live beside five million people and i could sell all the salad i can grow geez it'd be happy days yeah. i'd just be harvesting and, and delivering but we have to like come up with all sorts of ideas how to shift a little bit more of this and a little bit of that and you know you can start driving but the last thing i want to be is is a delivery person yeah. <laughs> so we try and do it all in a, a very close uh, you know facility you know vicinity and so then what happens is so we've kind of been doing veg for years now um so it's another reason why the mixed farm is a good idea because there's only so much veg locally people want of this kind of type of veg so then, yeah, you stack up as many enterprises as you have time to do. Mm. So the eggs is our new one now, and that goes obviously hand in hand very well. And then we have meat now with uh, our beef and lamb. And yeah, it's just nice to have other things to the same customers, the same niche people that, you know, already were getting the veg. And um, yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Because I guess there's the, do you, do you, have you sensed or seen as you know the time you've been doing this are diets shifting are people more open to you know people are, i can't guess are people are understanding the sort of complexity of food and also like the the needs the need probably to become more open to other you know other other varieties of vegetable or other things that are actually you know make sense to be grown here do you sense any change or do you sense people still quite locked in no i'd hate, I'd hate to be negative but i wouldn't say there's any radical change in our dietary choices mm. as, as a society yet um, I think people are waking up in general like in general people like the amount of people who want to move to this area to the countryside um, kind of homesteading that kind of stuff is definitely starting more but overall eating habits you know as long as we can convenience shop I think people will still use convenience shopping. It's right. just until it's not there, it's 
it's just very hard not to use it. It's very simple. The car park's there on the way home and they have everything and yeah, it it's just it works. Like it was very funny with COVID and the first lockdown we had here, like it was phenomenal. It was March, I think, and there's not much in the garden at that time of year. And people weren't allowed to drive more than five K mm. and everyone was freaking out so they didn't want to go into supermarkets that much. Yeah. There was queues at the gate, like <laughs> queues at the gate in the morning. Did like, that ever happened before? Never. Yeah. Like, and like, there's like, you know, five, six people waiting and everyone taking their turn. And, and I was like, wow, you know, I was like, hopefully this goes on for a while. And we, we, you know, and it did, you know, it went on for probably a good six weeks like that, where it was really hysterical and everyone was, you know, coming every day and they were so grateful and they were just like, thank you so much. It's veg. And like, and, they had time to cook because they're off work mm. and it was just this amazing time and everyone was talking about eating well and and then literally the day things were opened up, they were gone and that was it. We didn't see them anymore and we're like, oh, that was uh, a bit sad. Yeah. You know, like I had a percentage did keep coming and, you know, and they did kind of change maybe a little bit, but most people they said, and I'd meet them maybe in town or on the street and say, oh, that time was amazing. Oh, I loved coming up to the shop. Oh, I loved getting the veg. It was so good. I'm like, we're Rapping. still there. <laughs> <laughs> we didn't go anywhere. And yeah, so what's and I, going on? They think the convenience thing. Convenience. Again. Yeah. It just sells. And people are time. You know, we're time sensitive. We don't have that much time. So then, or whatever, we think we don't have that much time. And then people want to do it the quickest way possible. Yeah, I mean, this is the this is the problem, isn't it? Because like the 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 lack of uh, time is, um, you, you know, the you know when we look at all these issues that we're sort of facing into, the more the busier we are, the more impact we tend to make in terms of our footprint, right? Because yeah. buying, you know, whatever, not being able to cook, not being able to grow, not being able to fix anything, it's yeah. all it's all we're paying out, you know, and we're buying stuff and. And it's this crazy tension. Yeah. Like you said, we saw a glimpse of it in that first lockdown. I think people saw it, you know, there was this kind of glimpse of a, a, a different way. And they, like the conversations were amazing. I was like, oh, this could be it. Like this yeah. could, they could have tweaked it. Yeah. They're like, you know, having the time to cook with your kids and everyone's just, you know, everyone's calmer and happier and yeah. we're, we're going for a walk after dinner. And I was like, this could be it. They might've just, and then, but then people have the bills, you know, people have, bought into the house and this and then they need to pay for it and it quickly falls back which is but then there's no doubt some other crisis is on the way you yeah. know be it a climate one or environmental one or whatever like there's something on the way so it's interesting to see as soon as crisis happens where people go mm. we go back to basics very quick and was it the fall of the roman empire um everyone left the um, the city and went straight out into the, onto the land and started mm. growing again. It's mm. kind of what happens, you know. We well, this is. I mean, that's the you know. We, we won't we won't get into this because I it would be unfair because I'm I'm I barely started George Monbiot's new book, but but he does. But it does. He you know I saw him talk down in, in Bath a couple of weeks back, and but the thing he opens with is he talks about this this you know modern food system. That, that's been created over you know decades whatever that it's a very complex system he just talks about complex systems generally that yeah. we 
in our again in our sort of industrial mindsets we're not great with understanding complexity we you know we're very good at specialisms yeah. and stuff and so he talks about he uses that example of you know the the financial crash in whenever it was it was it 2008 was it 2008 i can't even remember 2008, but 2008 yeah. wasn't it yeah but he talks about that you know this complex system and you start to see these signals there were these early signals that um that this system will give you uh, that let you know something is you know we're, we're on the verge of something quite seismic yeah um and and he talks about and i say i haven't got into depth but broadly speaking he's suggesting we're in a similar state with food that it's this massively complex system um that is now showing signals that it could be about to you know to, to collapse and um and again i said i'm going to but i guess i was just wanting to sort of explore like yeah what you know because you talked about covid pandemic people coming up here how in your view how resilient like let's take where you are here in ireland how resilient do you think folks are when it comes to food? how are we when it comes to food what would happen for example if supply chains started to dry up quite quickly yeah there'd definitely be a a bit of a panic and i think he's george is completely right to say that those warning signs are flashing quite loud and clear now and we we know like the growth illusion kind of endless growth idea and thinking you can ship things from china you know for your car you know click a button and it just arrives like you know that's all very fast-paced new stuff that we've never had before and to build your whole food system on such a kind of a you know what do they call it the i don't know the you know the three days like everything is just, just in time just in, yeah, time, just in time model like yeah. jesus what a fragile way <laughs> yeah. to feed yeah. the world like yeah. and it's only western world now we're yeah. worried about here you know the the third world are still down on their hands and knees you know growing like they always have so you know it's not a it's they're not worried as much now they're getting screwed on those other ways with yeah, climate, climate and different yeah. things but yeah our just in time model it's yeah it's kind of ludicrous to not have your food sorted in your backyard doesn't really make any sense as a government should be the number one priority and as communities that we just have the basics in order i think it's five percent of farmers in ireland actually feed into the irish population like 95 percent of them is export so that's yeah it's not a great system really yeah i mean that's what that that whole idea of this this import export model and you say in some countries have you know probably out you know now have just gone pure everything is on import right or you know either they're producing and exporting everything or they're producing very little and importing everything yeah. it's just such a mad when you think about it yeah. you know food <laughs> it's like the essential yeah just air uh, water then food yeah that's what i always say is you know we should be worried at the air because you can't last that long without that one yeah and then water <laughs> which is we only have the same water that goes round and round yeah. and every time you pollute it it's a bit less that we can drink that should be the next top priority that everyone is concerned about and then food like food's mm. actually down a little bit and yeah and then get your food right before you worry about electric cars or your broadband or any of these things that we seem to put a lot of energy into it's like we haven't got the basics right guys and it's now to be positive i think ireland is in a very very uh positive situation you know we have 
only f- you know five million people on a pretty big island with a lot of cows. A l- as uh, well, a lot of land <laughs> is the thing. You know, we have a lot of a lot of lands per, per population. So yeah. I, and water, I mean, it was a huge thing that we have. But still, we're up shit creek. Like we don't have farmers. We have people who drive machinery. We don't have people who know soil and the land and. You know, we're very used to filling a, a diesel tank and now it's getting very expensive. Like it's, it is a very scary place to be for those kind of industrial farmers. Mm. And I feel for them, like I really do. I think it's, they're in a shit place because it's not going to get any easier. Like nothing's going to get easier in that model. That model is only going to start cracking mm. harder. And our job, I think as people who are, you know, interested in this is just trying to get the the models that will work up and running so then when people are ready or have to change it's easier for them to change mm. and then we can help each other along and it's not some like haha i told you so it's like right we can you know peer to peer get each other through this because it's very important that we do We live on a life-giving rock called Earth, hurtling through space. How bonkers is that? And how, because you've always, I mean, you know, because of your, you know, your own story and and your story into farming from surfing, you know, you've always attracted a lot of interest in what you do and how you've been going about it. What are you, like, you know, on this now with, with you know, the current, you know, the, the position we're in now, here in Ireland, other farmers, how are you, what's happening? Are, are you, are you really sensing there's shifts going on? How are people kind of coming, connecting with you now? And what what's going on in terms of like what you've got going on here, but how is that sort of, you know, what's the web that's being created around this now in Ireland? And Yeah. Like, well, firstly, I would say I'm, I'm the number one beginner on this like journey. I'm really, you know, starting from the bottom and I'm just learning as I go, but I'm just very interested and passionate and, mm. and want to learn. So I'm, I'm willing to try anything. So that kind of gives me a bit more flexibility. Whereas a lot of people, you know, from a conventional background, it's hard to change something you've been pushing hard and, you know, m- most farms are on a bigger scale than us, so they have a lot more at stake if they if they change. Mm-hmm. But I and would I guess say generational as well, I guess. Yeah, I mean, and like, is Daddy going to let me do it? Like, mm-hmm. that's a very big thing in handing down farms here. But the thing about industrial kind of model, um, conventional farmers is they're hard workers. Like, they're seriously hard workers. They also know how to get shit done. So if they decide to change, like they can do radical change, you know, and, and overnight, like they're, they're not afraid to work. Like that's the thing people give farmers, industrial farmers a hard time and in ways rightly so, but I wouldn't say it's their doing. It's from the system. Yeah. Feed, you inherit feed, this stuff, don't you? Feeding it's... them technology and telling them life will be easier if you use this fertilizer or this spray. But anyway, we all had decisions to make. But they're hard-ass workers. They get up every day, seven days a week, more than anyone in a nine-to-five. They will, you know, they'll outdo you in any hard day's work. So if they decide, if they clock onto this, and they are, like, you know, it's they can move mountains comparatively to me because I have a small farm and I'm only getting into this. They've got all the tools at their disposal 
and they're ready to go. It's just it's just a change of uh, philosophy, really. Yeah. It's just a very slight shift. And what? But what's what's is that the cost now that's really driving this? Is like let's you know we hear a lot about soil and the state of soil and you know decades of industrial agriculture and and and, and all of that. Are what's your sense of what you're learning or sensing from other farmers? What's what's driving this? Or starting this this shift, if you like, the big thing that's going to change thing is just the cost. Yeah, like it's just the cost. Like the land could be getting worse and worse, which it is, but as long as people can still get in the tractor and still spray extra fertilizer to get things to grow, they'll keep doing it. But now, when it's twice the price to fill the tractor and twice the price to spray the fertilizer. Yeah, that just is a pretty big wake-up call that I don't want to waste my money on this stuff. So that's, that's you know, money does lead people into different directions. But like I am, I'm meeting dairy farmers, uh, like big dairy farmers now that have clocked it, like, and they, they see it. They see what a scam that they've been sold, how it's basically, it's all about a middleman running the show who's mm -hmm. convincing them of a technology and then selling them the technology and then all the inputs to use in the technology and then they're kind of addicts and they're hooked and they've kind of seen it and now i wouldn't say it's uh, a huge percentage but there is people and as they transition and start to manage their soil and you know build soil up and start the big one is if they can have the same yields or even similar yields to the farmer next door but then they have no inputs like every farmer will be watching them but there just needs to be a bit more of a... Once that tipping point happens of enough of that, yeah, there's no... And there is no going back now. Like, the cat is out of the bag with, you know, where it's going. And I think it's only a matter of time. And it's... Yeah, it's a very exciting time. It really is. Like, it's it's a lot more positive than negative farming, I would say, right now. Like, the majority of, of industrial agriculture, you know, is it's still fully, you know, functioning and whatever. But it, it, that's horrendous. But the change is at is at play like it's happening and that is very positive that's never been even when i started eight years ago that wasn't happening mm. i didn't see those changes then as i do now so another 10 years from now it's yeah it's it's gonna snowball i would say i remember um i think when i last came up here or but maybe it was before we would we were talking a bit about climate and the experience of climate change and, you know, the, the sort of destabilizing of weather patterns. And I remember you saying at the time how much you were witnessing shifts yourself. Can we speak a little bit to that? Like, what have you, are you noticing, are, are you seeing there's more predictability? Is it chaotic? What's, what's going on from what, from what you see and experience every day? To be honest, I kind of got to a place where like, it's like, you know, it's going to be bad, day, bad weather tomorrow. And I can give out about it, but it is what it is. Like, you know, we got to kind of work with it. And we can say we're changing the climate or we could say we're not. But whatever happens, extreme things will happen with the weather. And there's no doubt about that. We'll have extreme heat and we'll have extreme floods. And the only thing that we can do is, is buffer it. It's trying to buffer the extremities. If you can have your soil armored up with enough organic matter that it can hold moisture when it's dry and hold hold the moisture when it's wet and have good strong roots then you're resilient and that's that's the job as a farmer to be 
buffering up for any extreme thing that comes because industrial agriculture is very efficient and it's all designed around everything working and everything going to plan and having these temperatures and you know everything working but if things don't if you have extreme weather event climate change or not it just it leaves you in a in a fragile space and that's that's the big thing that's the whole thing regenerative agriculture is about building soil, storing carbon, you know, building organic matter, whatever way you want to call it. And by doing that, you're basically creating like a, a kind of a buffer between when it's dry, your neighbor who's not storing or not layering down carbon, his land will dry out very quickly and yours won't. And yours will still be growing grass and his won't. And that's pretty night and day. And there's lots of examples of that across the world. And that's that's all we can do. I mean, but the funny thing is, as you're doing that, you're, you know, you're storing carbon and, and, you know, growing grass. And as you're growing grass, then you've got more uh, seed heads and flowers and then more insects and more biodiversity. So it's like, it's all, it's, it's either all going up or all going down. Yeah, yeah. And that's all, you know, we're a part of. And if everyone's all a part of the going up, like nature will respond so well, so quickly. Like it's phenomenal how much it wants to heal if mm. we just allow it mm. and start you know steering it in that direction so I, I actually don't worry about the climate change thing anymore as much maybe as i used to because all we can do is the you know the step in front of us yeah which needs to be this kind of regenerative ag you know kind of stuff and that will help in the big picture and that's all we can actually do like so this sort of focus on focus on life right it's yeah. like bringing that life back like when you do something positive and mm. you see a positive result life the world has got a little bit better mm. and that's going to help the climate change if it if it is you know going out of control that's going to help whatever yeah. that is so yeah so i know like um i think the last time i was here you you know you've been exploring lot of, lots of different models you've had like volunteering models you've got interning models now right that's right and yeah. i know you know, even from what I see, um, where I'm in Bath and the younger farmers, I mean, it feels like there is something really bubbling up. Like, it feels like there is a, there is more, particularly, you know, younger folks wanting to come into farming. It feels like that's happening, or there's a, there's something there's something happening in that space. Um, can you tell us a little bit about what you've learned about? you know or what you're seeing again with with youngsters wanting to come onto the land and also maybe what you've learned a bit about different models of how you actually work with others how you yeah. build you know yeah i suppose after we're kind of learning about building soil we really got to try and help other people do it because you know you're not going to manage the whole country yourself yeah. so yeah that's the next part of what gets me motivated is how do we get more of this happening? And if people want to get into this, how do we get them off on the right foot? Because mm -hmm. it's not an easy occupation to get into. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, if you're trying to become a farmer and unless you're inheriting land or you have millions in your back pocket, it's a very expensive occupation to start between buying land, infrastructure, and then you're going to do it for 10, 15 years just to learn the trade. And then you'll have huge, if you're buying in with very little money, you're going to have huge debts. You will virtually never get paid. So it's not like the occupation you'd be, uh, you know, queuing up for in theory. But people want to do it because people feel the importance of this. And I think 
those people need support and like those people you know if we can just help them along in that journey of getting off their feet like doing every bit of it learning to be a farmer buying the assets starting a brand selling direct being you know a marketer a salesperson accountant all these things it's it's such an overwhelming task to get into like i wouldn't recommend it at all um but i hope people do it because it's very very important that we do and the only way you can make any money at it at all is if you sell direct which is way more work so i don't know if we can help these people get off on the right foot and and my thing is this internship that I do now because I've done volunteering I suppose I kind of originally wanted to get everyone into it and wanted everyone to learn and have you know everyone here but actually you can't help everyone at once well you saw that I remember you also again Robert I remember that you you saw the sort of healing potential of people working together or people getting their hands in the soil together as well right totally you want to bring people back to the land like you know as a western culture there's never been so few people on the land Mm. and then we're depressed and there's you know lack of connection to food Mm. and all that so i just wanted as many people to be here and we did we had a huge amount of volunteer days here and it was amazing time and really really great to do but i would say i don't know 95 98 percent of those people will never be farmers which is fine and that's totally normal Mm. but i want to have more farmers like i want to have people who you know are my up-and-coming you know people that i can talk with and trade notes with and learn from and watch them regenerate 100 acres over there and that's what we need like we need a whole like wave of new people managing land well and you ain't going to do that overnight. So we have a six-month internship for the you know April to October, so the full growing season. And they don't work, you know, like there's a woofing network. That's with, right. Which a lot of people would kind of use, and I'm not sure it's like four hours a day or something work you get for food and board. But the interns work 10 hours mm-hmm. or even 11 hours. And, you know, they start at half five. And, yeah, they take on responsibility, they, I get them to do the markets, um, you know, they're managing livestock. Um, I go away and make sure, you know, they, on purpose, so they can mine the place. Yeah. Just so they... <laughs> See those cows? They're all yours. <laughs> well, just make sure if you start something next year and you've never had this responsibility, mm. it's a bit it's a bit of a deep end. Yeah, I can imagine. But if we kind of have it set up and they can just learn it, it's it's a huge step to get going and then i do half a, an afternoon a week uh classroom time where we go through each enterprise you know what it would take you know to cost to set it up and yeah looking at what kind of resource base they may have and i'm i'm only taking on interns who are looking to become farmers mm-hmm. so they either have land or looking to get into farming for sure and that way we can run through their ideas and this kind of stuff because yeah they need it like we all need it i needed it i still need it mm-hmm. and yeah so it, and it's cool and you're investing in them and then you know afterwards we're we're here as you know they can ring, ring me anytime and hopefully we can help them on their journey afterwards and yeah that's that's what i see is what we need more of is like we don't need no offense to the educational system, but we don't need degrees and PhDs. We need hands-on, real-life experience. Like, you can learn farming inside out. You can even be taught it how to do it. But then to do it in the real world and run a business and it actually work and 
all the nuances of a community and what people want. Like, yeah, you can do the numbers on how to make money out of farming and you can see, oh, I could make money out of that. But can you sell it, you know, Mm -hmm. and how far are you going to have to drive for that? Those numbers, you got to figure all that stuff out. And then the big one you got to decide is what quality of life you want, because you can make money out of farming, but you mightn't have a life because of it. So if you still want to have enough time with your family and you don't want to drive too much, then you got to figure out what enterprises they are. And it's, <laughs> it's a complex thing. You know, yeah. it really is. And you're like, I mean, I say, you know, you live on this land. You're bringing up your young family on this land. You are like, you are totally immersed in, in this place, aren't you? And yeah. How does that, you know, that's obviously, that's the, the route you've chosen how does what's your sense from other farmers and do, you know do, is 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 this is this seen as the the way to do it or you know i'm curious about like you know because it's you you have this i guess it's 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 non-stop for you yeah is that is that the normal for yeah 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 and that's the that's probably the biggest uh hard one you're trying to show to interns is like if you don't like this and this is the six months in the nice time of the year. You know, we're talking summer months here where everything is rosy. Mm. You know, this, the hardest thing in farming is getting through the winter. Like, you know, getting through the winter historically is a scary time. You know, making it through a winter. Animals, you know, feeding them, feeding yourselves. So you're you're teaching them, like, it's a 365 job. You don't really get any pat on the back for it. There'll be numerous setbacks, numerous challenges you'll mess up, animals will die, you know, crops will fail, something will go wrong, your tunnel will blow away, and you have to get up in the morning and, and deal with it. And again, and, and then the weather will be shit, and, you know, and you won't really get paid for it. So you're like, <laughs> there's very... So come on, folks. What, so <laughs> that is like the, the reality, and yeah. it's tough, but on the exact... So it's like a double side of... A, it's a coin. Like on one side, mm. it's it's kind of hell. And you could say, I don't call it hell, but it's challenging. Yeah. And on the other side is you're in nature. You're around animals. You're watching, you know, trees grow. You're listening to the birds. You're feeding your community. You're physically fit. You know, you feel like you're doing something worthwhile. There's yeah. purpose to everything you do. You know, you can watch land get better year on year. You're watching your healthy animals. You know, you're watching baby animals born. Like, it's a dream. It's all, It's like the dream come true. It's like what everyone would love to live out in the country and have your own food, the best diet you could ever ask for. People appreciating what you do. Like, the list goes on and on. Yeah. So it's like, it's both. It's exactly both at all times. And it's, you have to, the positives have to be, more important to you than the negatives and mm. you then you can overcome the negatives but yeah you gotta you know there is no real uh holiday in mm. it and that's tough you know it's a really tough thing but the big one then i think once you get into farming for a few years you'll, you know, if you meet you know proper farmers who are at it a long time they 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 would they wouldn't be able to explain it but they don't want to leave you know they don't want to go anywhere like they have no interest in going on a holiday you know, it's funny that farmers are getting the, the big rap about climate change and different things. You won't see the farmers on a flight to Barbados. Like, you won't see them selling themselves down in Spain. Like, they they don't leave their farm and they're not looking for a holiday. 
and they work every day of the week and they care a lot about where they are. Yeah, they've been misled in different ways. But it's like when you get that kind of a part of a place, it's it's not about you. Mm. you. It's not about me and my time off and what I make and how much, you know, I have or any of these things. You're it's like that tree growing over there and that cow eating that grass and that, you know, salad in the tunnel. You're just one of them. Mm. You're just in that you know, ecosystem and you're just a part of it and you've, you got your job and they've got their job and your job is kind of important. So you better not mess up for them. And you kind of just, you know, it's all in your head and you're just a part of it. And it's, it's kind of, yeah, it's a beautiful feeling. It's a feeling you can't put a price on and really make anyone understand until they feel it and experience it. Mm. And that's, that's the priceless bit. And you've got that just as just park the van up up on up on, on the on the hill then obviously you've got the view out across to La Hinch and the ocean and how do, how's that for you? Are you are you, do you are you still getting in the water often or how does that work for you that but seeing it is I mean it's stunt you know, I, I imagine it must you you know, 'cause it, that's that's that other part of you and that yeah. and, and having that that sight of it feels quite really special yeah you know no it's 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 definitely why we live here because practically farming wise you wouldn't live on the top of a hill near the sea like (laughs) it's and i could have you know settled in mayo where my family are from and would have been easier and better land but i grew up there and i hated how much we drove to the Mm. sea so i was like if i'm gonna farm i want to be near the sea because Mm. it is special and just Mm. to be 10 minutes and you know jumping in the sea with the kids Mm. at the end of a day is yeah, it's it's really it's a great way for farming farmers to unwind, mm. and it doesn't have to be the sea, but something you need to because yeah. you basically carry things as a farmer all day long from one place to another. So the whole occupation is quite heavy. Mm. You're always kind of like weighed down with either physical stuff or just thinking about stuff yeah, yeah, and yeah. what you're going to do next. So then to go into the sea and float is like a really good. Uh, you know, offset. Um, so wintertime is good. You know, I've got less on and I can surf a good bit more. We do actually take a month off in January and have someone mind the place and actually, yeah, surf. It's the one month where things are quite quiet. Mm. And then summer, you know, it's a long day. So you can get in at the end of the day. But it's just really just a family fun yeah. affair. Like i done that mad surfing, you know, obsession and it was an amazing time. But it was definitely a great memories but it's i'm not obsessed anymore yeah. which is yeah. lovely yeah, I, yeah, yeah, I, yeah i go to the sea and it's fun and it's pleasurable and i'm not chasing anything it's just it's a really nice experience whereas before it was like i was pushing it in surfing world and that was very exciting but it, it was kind of intense as well where mm. now it's you know if i get to the sea i'm delighted you know that's all i need now yeah love it so listen i just um one thing I'm really interested in conversation I'm having with people at the moment is this kind of, um, is this kind of a, like how we imagine the future, how we sort of think about, you know, how we're using our imagination in the work that we're doing. And like when you sort of think about what you're trying to do here and you, you know, you're training others up now and working, networking out to more farmers and what, what is the future you imagine? What does it, what does it look like? What does it feel like? Okay, we need another hour, I think. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, we're sitting in the dark and it's been it's, it's getting late. <laughs> yeah. 
but yeah, I, I, I can yatter on for a little bit yeah. about the, you know, I that's what keeps me going. Is, yeah. So we're trying to build a training center at the moment. We have the planning permission. I got a small grant. I'm trying to find more money to build a training center mm-hmm. for these interns. Then to run, you know, specific courses on certain, you know, enterprises or whatever. And people can use the space. Um, so that's one aspect that I'm trying to do in the kind of medium term. Um I personally am like, I want to be a land grabber. I want to acquire more land mm-hmm. because I don't like it seen conventionally farmed and sprayed and whatever. So the more land I can acquire, which probably won't be much, but I, I aspire to because then I can, yeah, I can manage it and, mm-hmm. and see it, you know, healthy. And I'd love that. And then I have this kind of dream of, um, so you have your interns and then, you know, you, maybe have a really great intern who becomes staff the next year and they be staff for a couple of years. And then you could either lease them a piece of land or they could just have their own enterprise or find, you know, if I could, I have a network of people I know. And if I find someone who's retiring and wants a good farmer, I could get a staff member their own farm, you know, and this kind of stuff. And a bigger picture would be like, if you could create a network where, the market was created for this new farmer that the farmer could just farm like that's the fun stuff and that's what they should be focusing in on and they could just sell their stuff into you know i don't want to say like a franchise kind of moy hill yeah. but some way that you could link up for them and even help them or you have someone who can do their marketing for whatever different things yeah but, they can just focus on... I think that puts off a lot of young people, the idea that they have to run a business. Yeah. Now, they should learn some skills around finances, but sure. not having to waste time doing things that aren't basically building soil. Yeah. And yeah, so I see a lot of different ways I'd love it to go. And yeah, hopefully we'll just keep, yeah, that kind of domino effect of a few more interns and they start and then ho- ideally those interns then will have their own interns, you know, and it'll go on like that. And do you see, that's beautiful, do you see the, um, one of the the things I see or hear with is land access, right, is, is, yeah. is problematic and obviously then they're trying to buy land and you know and you've yeah. been through all of that but do you see and and i guess again this is complex because i imagine there are you know there are farmers who've spent their lives you know and 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 you know working crazily to to sustain these farms and i'm getting a sense that they can be offered you know decent money potentially now for for land and stuff how, how do we deal with that that tension of like you know making land more accessible to more to more younger farmers for example but uh, you know how do you see that panning out do you sense some of the older farmers are interested in the legacy of these things now and how to get more people on or is that because i'm imagining people are getting offered money for farms as well that it's just you can't say no to or we're hearing stories in in england about um you know businesses big companies corporations buying up yeah. land now for yeah. like carbon sequestration yeah. you know refi- just you know just basically to sort of tick boxes on numbers effectively yeah. and how, how do you see that the whole land access thing here yeah it is a very complex thing and and we're a traumatized uh nation we're around you know land and historically and i don't i think that really is still playing out like in this country with farmers and why they don't we won't let go of land easily 
tell us a bit about that just for folks well like the most recent one would be our famine like which was Mm. never actually a famine it was just yeah it was when unfortunately uh, the 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 english were Mm. trying to wipe us out and starved us for three years Mm. and yeah no one really knows that that's actually what happened like there was over half the english army was in ireland for three years which is you know a huge amount of people taking the food from ireland to the uk and it was then sold in the history books as a famine that's and, right and the potato the, famine yeah right. the, the poor irish yeah. with their with the potato and we're made to think we're fools and you know that we couldn't grow anything else but potatoes and yeah so there's a lot of trauma there and it's ne- like it was basically genocide mm. and um it was never acknowledged like that and we're still to this day not over it i think there's huge trauma in the irish psyche like there should be you know basically therapy for millions of people yeah. and their families to kind of get over how the land didn't fail them you know and it wasn't um them being poor irish you know peasants or anything and yeah just trying to heal it and see how we can navigate what's best for the land and we also had our land taken off us for a very long time. Mm. So we're now, we, we got our land back. We don't want to let it go, you know, and they don't want to, they don't want it to leave the family name. And that's all very poignant kind of, you know, emotive stuff. Yeah. Like there's suicides all the time. There's, there was a family there, the brother. So, you know, your classic is the farm, the farm's going to get handed down to one of the brothers. And then mightn't go so well, there's feuding. So one of the brothers shot the other brother and the dad and himself this year wow. overland. And like that's not the first time. Yeah. And you're like, wow, like that's where we're at with yeah. land. And so you can see why they're not handing over to yeah. some young up yeah, coming. Yeah, you know, I get it. So what needs to happen, I see, is we need to have these either so ideally, we're going to have up in, you know, the next generation of farmers who are inheriting land doing these internships or just learning themselves. And that's it. And it's easier that way. But that it's very hard for um, a conventional farmer's son or daughter to change because they're basically saying they're wrong. You know, they're saying everything they've been doing up to now could be wrong. And that's very difficult. Mm-hmm. So it's easier for a new entrant who doesn't have the attachment to what dad did to see, oh yeah, that that could be done better and they can learn it. So then when you have these interns who are trained up and you get them access to land, whoever it might be, which would be great, you've then got some case studies to show farmers, look, it, it can work and you need to have really clear agreements and contracts. There's an organization in France that's really good at that. I don't know the name, but they do this mediation over a three-year period where they give the new entrants, you know, uh, internships for two years and then one year with the original farmer where they hand over the farm and teach them all about the farm. And it's Mm. really well done, but it's Mm. all done through immediate, you know, someone in the middle and there's no complications and contracts and they don't even have to own the land, the new entrant, they could just have a lifetime lease. So they have access to the land in their lifetime, but the farm can stay in the family's name. And so there's really good models out there. We're just, yeah, we haven't explored them. We haven't tried them in this country. So we need the case study Mm -hmm. to show the the farmer who's thinking about retiring and doesn't have someone who wants to take it, um, how it can be done. But that's, yeah, that's a part of, so I'm involved in a farming organization called Tolofbio, 
which is a link to La Via Campesina, which is a worldwide peasant farmer movement. And so Talib Bio will be working on this kind of stuff. Like that's what we're, one of the things we're trying to get is this kind of structure. Like, cause it's a big deal trying to, you know, hand over land. Like, cause if you handed land over to someone and they mess it up, mm. like, oh my God, like the, the reputation in the community, if you've given your land to these people who've now trashed it or whatever went wrong. Like, yeah. So it has to be done very, you know, carefully. That's very important, I think. So, so that's, that sounds like a biggie. Just, you know, a couple of last things that would be curious to get your sense on. So what's, thinking about all of this, like what's, what's exciting you the most about this, this moment in time, like with everything that's going on, what's, what's really sort of... Well, the coolest thing about regenerative farming, like that's the term I like to use. Yeah. There's biological farming. Um, uh, yeah, we have, there's loads of different words, but it basically is, it doesn't cost anything. You know, we don't need a new tractor. We don't need a shed. We don't need any technology. It's just a different management system. Um, there might be little inputs of different ideas here and there, but realistically, it's just a way of managing things and thinking differently. And, you know, what do they say is turnover is uh, vanity and profit is sanity. Like if we can see how we can just still make the profit is the same. Like, you know, dairy farmers are making huge money, but then they have huge overheads. Mm. And if we can basically, if we can get rid of inputs, like inputs are just ridiculous, like needing to have huge tractors, needing to have all the fertilizer, need to have all the grain and all this stuff. If we can manage farms without these inputs, the farmer's back in, in control and they don't need, you know, to worry about, yeah, um, basically very much then they just need to manage what they have in front of them mm. and that's very exciting and like it's at it's basically at the our fingertips like tomorrow every farmer could say no to the fertilizer coming in the drive and learn from someone who's already done it and all of a sudden the world's a different place and that's very exciting mm. and there's like i think there's some facts on like a third of the world is grassland and currently, like a lot of the world's grassland gets burned at the end of the season if it wasn't grazed properly. So you think about all the carbon that's released by doing that and it wasn't storing carbon, never mind releasing it. Um, but if you tomorrow stored carbon through grassland, it would just cancel all CO2 emissions like overnight. And that's just using the exact same people, the exact same animals, just a different way of doing it. And that that's pretty cool. Like mm. that's just like, there's no fancy. Yeah. Big, it's a consciousness shift. Really? Yeah. Isn't it? It's a shift of perspective or perception almost. Yeah. Like a, and it's happening as well. That's yeah. the other thing. Like, like the, if you, people want to look up stuff, like there's some amazing farmers out there. Um, you know, the U S is an amazing place where they have the worst agriculture in the world. And because of it, they have the best agriculture <laughs> in the world because you get the extremes. Yeah. So there's uh, Greg Judy is a cool guy I follow, Gabe Brown, Joel Salatin. Um, there's a guy, uh, the farm White Oak Pastures. There's some some kind of bigger farms, you know, and there's Colin Sice in Australia. Um, and then in Europe, we've got like Richard Perkins. And yeah, there's there's loads. Like, But they're doing it. Like they're genuinely doing it for some of them 30, 40 years making huge shifts like some of them were taking like degraded cropland that was worthless and now it's like thriving ecosystems of like lush grass loads of wildlife you know healthy animals and 
yeah, it can be done. And that's very, very exciting. I am, yeah, I just love to see more of that here in Ireland. That's what I'm kind of hoping to move along a little bit. Yeah. And then on the flip of that, I guess exactly what's the, the stuff that's keeping you awake? Like what's, what's, what's kind of alarming, you know, in light of all this potential and possibility, but what's holding, what's holding things back or what's causing you concern? There's a lot, like I suppose, but I try not to dwell on it too much, but there's things like, you know, the, the middlemen definitely hold a lot of the, you know, the control at the moment Mm -hmm. and they're going to keep, you know, as things get harder for them, they're going to hold on tighter. And that's what we're in now. Like we're in this time of they're really holding on to the control. And yeah, that's just a tough thing to witness. It's really, and they, they don't help farmers at all. And there's a, you know, like the regulatory stuff for farming, like that is just barbaric. Like the fact that we have to do all these crazy paperwork for good farming. Like, Mm. so I'm going for organic standards, which I don't particularly need or anything. But I was convinced to do it anyway. And I have to pay for this. I have to do a course for this. I have to get inspected for this. Um, probably loads of other things. Like constant paperwork through the whole year. Everything has to be recorded to produce healthy food. Yeah, yeah. Whereas a conventional farmer doesn't have to do anything. Yeah. <laughs> yeah you know, exactly. they don't have to pay. Yeah. They're, they're the ones spraying the chemicals. That's the sign of the times, isn't it? And this stuff like, is like the good stuff. Whereas, a... you know, I should be hopefully supported for what I'm trying to do. Yeah. Not coming out and like, told oh you need to fill this form out and you need to you're just like yeah this isn't really going to ever encourage people to get into this type of farming when you make it very difficult yeah um so that that's very hard to witness you know and it's very it's very hard to be innovative yeah that's a real thing like any of the kind of college industries kind of stuff that would definitely start happening very quickly if it was allowed but you need to have like you know, these HACCP kitchens just to make a, a jam. Like, it's just, that stuff is tough. That's It really stops um, people trying. Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah. And that, that sort of quashes the... Yeah, you're either big or you get out kind of stuff. Yeah. And so that's that's hard to witness, but I don't think that's going to be around forever either. Yeah. Makes sense. So listen, we I always... Um, this podcast is in, inspired by this idea of this 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 planet being a living system, a bit like a spaceship, and it requires it has an operating system. <laughs> it's called nature, but it requires everyone to kind of understand that operating system, you know, and to sort of be a part of it. So I have this thing we explore around, you know, moving from this kind of passenger mentality to becoming crew on this on this on this spaceship Earth. And one thing I'm really interested in asking guests is like more and more listeners. Are wanting to do things or wanting to get involved wanting to participate knowing what you know about what you do and food what what would you suggest listeners you know people that are interested either maybe in growing but even just in terms of the food that they're eating or what would be a good mission to send people on um in your view in these times when it comes to yeah when it comes to all of this it is it just depends on what what uh level of the kind of ladder you're on so Mm. from a very basic level like get down to the farmer's market, wherever it is, even if it's half an hour away, whatever, just go down there, support those people, ask them questions, ask them how they do things, and then, you know, thank them for it. 
maybe even give them a tip <laughs> because they ain't driving a, a BMW, you know, like it's just these people, there's, there's not that many of them mm. and they deserve to be supported. And if you care, then go and support them. Mm. And that's very simple. It's yeah. very easy. Research, learn, learn stuff. Like those kind of people are saying like Joel Salatin and Greg Judy, like look them up, mm-hmm. learn about them and, and listen to them because they are way down the road of what I'm talking about. Like they've been round the mill a few times and they're, you know, way, way, they're doing it like on yeah. a bigger scale. And it's very interesting just to listen and, and constantly be, holistic management has a great um, kind of philosophy and it basically says, um, you know, when you go, you got to make a plan. Whatever you're going to do in the, in the day, you have to make some sort of plan. So make your plan, make the best plan you can, but don't dwell on it, make your plan. And then you just go out and assume you're going to be wrong. You're probably going to be wrong. Your plan is probably going to be crap, but that's okay. But just monitor the plan, see it go wrong and learn from it and, and monitor it and then, and then adjust it and try and make a new plan. So that's everything. So you're going to try and buy organic stuff and you go into wherever, Tesco's or Aldi, and then observe it and, and see how you feel, mm. taste it, and then try the, the, the farmer's markets, organic, whatever, and just constantly just observe everything and assume I could be wrong about this. And it could be like if, you know, I was a vegetarian and I was headstrong about being a vegetarian and now I eat meat mm. and I'm I'm willing to be wrong. Like I'm willing to change and it's it was an amazing journey for me to be on and i think that's we're we're not very good at that in a in a western society and farmers especially we don't like to admit that maybe me driving this huge tractor could be detrimental to the soil and we don't like that we want to just keep pushing the boat we're on and if we could all just be humble enough to go maybe i'm wrong and open and listen to someone else's experiences yeah, it's it's fascinating what you might pick up, you know. From, Love it. Yeah. Thank you, Fergal. It's been great to chat and for, for hosting us here again. And it's been lovely to catch up and see. I mean, I've noticed, just as I say, when I drove up, just, just it, you can feel the place is, is growing. You know what I mean? You can really sort of sense it and uh, feel the land. And it feels more alive. Yeah. So, uh it's working. <laughs> yeah, no, it's exciting times. I, I think it's it's lovely to have people to come back, you know, peer, you know, over a few years mm. here and there. And I just that's what again, that's another thing that gets me very excited is just to to imagine in ten years and in fifteen years and yeah, so thanks for coming. No man, well I'm I'm definitely having no more children, so it will definitely be me <laughs> on my own probably next time. But um but no, thanks dude, and I really appreciate this conversation. Thanks, Dan. listening to this podcast would you consider sharing it with a friend or leaving us a rating or review via your podcast provider it helps more people to find us and we'd be most grateful so i hope you enjoyed that conversation with fergal um check out Moyhill farm and in, yeah as fergal said seek out your local producers your local farmers your regenerative farmers they're popping up all over the place they need our support so um yeah and you know also highly recommend um getting onto youtube searching for fergal smith 
just to sort of see Fergal in action, like from a surfing perspective, because he's quite extraordinary. And uh, you really, it's worth it's worth spending a little, a little bit of time watching watching Fergal out in the ocean. Um, yeah, quite 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 extraordinary um, surfer. Um, so on that, thanks for listening. Thanks for tuning in. It means a lot. Do share this episode or others if you can. Help more people find us. A little podcast uh, broadcasting from our little shed in our garden in Somerset. Um, but more people are finding us. More people are really connecting with the stories and the conversations we're having. So um, we would be massively grateful um, if you could, uh, yeah, share us on to other folks you think might enjoy these conversations. Yeah. A lot more coming in 23, hopefully. Yeah, the universe will be uh, behind us next year um, doing whatever it wants to do. Um, and also check out becomingcrew.com. Unlearning adventures to help us navigate mysterious times, these the great unraveling which we are living through. Uh, these are something I've been uh, gestating for several years, prototyping for several years, um, which are learning experiences um, with others in community, in crew, uh, where we can create the space to explore our most alive questions, where we can um connect deeply to our uncomfort vulnerability and pain for what is going on around us where we can move through that where we can let go of old stories and ideas that no longer serve us and where we have the support for us to deepen our uh our interdependence with life itself deepen our connection with the more than human world deepen our connection with ourselves connect more deeply to our own unique gifts of which we're being called to offer into the world now to take part in a collective healing and to connect and learn with others around us with crews so we're not alone in this journey of change which we're being called to take part in so like the guests on the podcast who i believe uh all are operating around this kind of metaphor of crew on spaceship earth all participating in uh bringing life back participating in this living system who are um, seeing the world as alive, complex, interconnected. How can we move from this kind of more sort of passive, passenger-like culture, which has has been shaped over the last few decades, and this culture of modernity, which has kind of disconnected us from, from life itself. And how do we step into the crew mentality where we are in service, we are serving life itself, we are participating through our work and lives in the healing of the whole and bringing life back to the whole system what is our role in that what are we here to do this is what we're trying to explore through these unlearning adventures so becomingcrew.com go and check it out you can uh, have a look you can also then just link directly to myself or to ever and mark and have a call with us to talk through uh, where you're at and um what experience might be right for you so very exciting loads more to come including there's a podcast coming soon which will dig deep into this but um yeah do check it out we're pretty excited i'm gonna play out with a tune because you know just because um it's a track from bicep who i actually went to see a couple of weeks ago at alexandra palace in london absolutely awesome night jumping around in a big sort of warehouse vibe 
which is just what I needed, just the medicine I was looking for. Um, this is a track called Waterfall. Um, so, yeah. Hailing from Belfast. Um, they just released this year their second album, Isles, which is an absolute belter. Well worth checking out. Uh, until next time, look after yourself out there and those around you and, of course, our more-than-human family. Peace and out. <laughs>